Welcome to The Organisational Inclusionist. I'm your host, Grace Masuro. In this podcast series, we'll be delving deep into the pressing issues surrounding equality, diversity and inclusion in both the workplace and the broader world. My goal is to foster understanding, inspire change and amplify the voices of those advocating for a more inclusive and equitable society. Throughout this series, I'll be engaging in candid discussions with leaders, experts, activists and changemakers from various fields. We'll explore the challenges, successes and evolving landscapes of equality, diversity and inclusion. From dismantling systematic biases to promoting equal opportunities for all, we'll touch on a broad range of topics. But we won't stop at discussing problems, we'll actively seek out solutions and actionable steps to drive positive change. Our aim is to inspire and empower you, our listeners, to take an active role in making the world a better place for everyone. This is The Organisational Inclusionist. Let's get started. Welcome to this episode of The Organisational Inclusionist. Today we're joined by Katie Allen, founding director of Katie Allen Consulting. Katie's a specialist diversity, equity and inclusion consultant, executive coach and TEDx speaker. With decades of experience in people and culture and commercial leadership positions. Katie, thank you so much for joining today. Today's conversation is one I've been really looking forward to. We're going to discuss how we can effectively challenge prejudice in the workplace and subsequently break the bias. But before we dive in, could you introduce yourself and the work that you do to our listeners, please? Certainly can. Thank you for having me along, Grace. It's a real pleasure to be here. So, yes, yeah, so I am Katie Allen um, of Katie Allen Consulting, and essentially I'm an inclusion uh, coach and speaker. And what this means is that I work with individuals and teams and really, you know, we call ourselves DEI specialists, but actually a lot of what I do is working with leadership teams and organisations to get under the skin of that fear that we all have of putting our foot in it, saying the wrong thing and and kind of really trying to get people to have open and honest conversations about what's it like to be me, what's it like to be you and how can we promote equality and equity within our workplaces. So really it's about trying to drive human and adult conversations about our differences. And that really is is the bit that gets me fired up and passionate about my job. Amazing. What made you want to start doing this or kind of what got you into this field? Yeah, I, I find that often it's really interesting, isn't it? People ask you, like, how did you get into your work? And I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, oh, yeah, inclusion. That's what I'm going to do when I grow up. I mean, exactly. It never works out that way. You know, I think we all come at it, don't we? Because of our own experiences and and the, you know, the things that we have kind of either witnessed or gone through personally that has started us thinking like, oh, yeah, we can do something differently. There's there's more to be done here. And the more we um, we kind of explore what's going on in society, I think some of us just feel very personally motivated to think, yeah, you know, the leadership training we have going on right now isn't really cutting it. I want to do more. So for me, it was a, it was a very much a personal experience of the workplaces I've been in and just thinking, oh, no, this doesn't fly. There is there is more that we can do um, and really... I guess leaning into that to go, okay, I, I'm going to help. I'm going to be the change. I want to dedicate my time upskilling myself so that I can help other people upskill themselves. Amazing. Thank you, Katie. When we spoke a few weeks ago, we found ourselves talking through past experiences in which we'd maybe perpetuated prejudices by not speaking up. Can you share a personal experience of prejudice or bias that you've encountered in the workplace? How did that experience impact you professionally and personally? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, like I was saying, we all come at this, don't we, with this personal experience. And that is mm-hmm. absolutely true for me. So I kind of first became aware of how kind of bias and prejudice can 
can be felt within the workplace when I was in my mid-20s. And I worked in the petrochemical industry. And for anyone on your listeners who is not familiar with that industry, it's heavily male-dominated. No um, way. <laughs> massive, ma- I know, shock, shocker. Totally. So I spent a lot of time on oil refineries and in those kind of environments. And, you know, it wasn't a surprise to me going into that. I knew that's that was what the environment was. But, you know, you kind of you're you're kind of your mid 20s, you're excited. You've got this fantastic new role. I was um, working with um, like an internal labor agency. So bringing people into projects and I was really kind of enjoying what we were doing. And then I was promoted through that work and I became um, sitting on their senior leadership team. It was a very commercial role and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, however, throughout my 10 years with that organization, what I also encountered were in this male dominated environment comments about me as a woman. So essentially, you know, who was I? I was given the nickname Blondie over there quite frequently. I found that there were times when I wanted to just get changed on site and I couldn't because the the mess rooms weren't set up for me. Um, so I had to crash down behind a desk if I wanted to get changed. And so all of these things were happening. And there were, I found people asking questions about my credibility in the role purely based on my gender and, and my age, to be fair. Um, you know, and, and I, I also had stories told about me in the way I was kind of objectified and people saying, well, I, I obviously only got into the position I did because I'd slept with people. I mean, what other mm. possible explanation could there be? You know, I couldn't be good at my job. Exactly. Um, and it really sat with me and I, I found, you know, even though I was by the end of my career with them in a senior position, I wasn't really able to kind of challenge or move the needle on that. I was still experiencing these things from other people around me in those leadership positions. That was the culture um, that was being perpetuated. And, you know, you said what what kind of um, impact did that have on me professionally and personally? Well, personally, um, I felt, well, I can't be myself here, can I? Obviously, I need to be one of the boys if I'm going to fit in. So I learned to play golf because on the golf course is where a lot of the action happened. You know, I changed who I was. I didn't wear things that I would normally think consider to be nice clothes for me. I wore uh, very masculine polo shirts and jeans and boots. I didn't want to stand out. I didn't wear nail polish, um, minimal makeup uh, because, you know, you want to be like pretty enough, but not too pretty because you don't yeah. draw attention to yourself. Right. So it was like that fine balance of like trying to um, manage how I was projecting myself. And, and honestly, I just internalized all that misogyny and, then I realized that professionally, I was also then perpetuating that because what kind of example was I setting to other women that were coming into that industry? Like, you know, you've got to play the game. You've got to be one of the boys. You have to be credible, but don't stand out, you know, mm. and, and it was just exhausting. And, and that's how it kind of impacted me personally. It was on the verge of burnout permanently because I was just trying to be something and someone I, I wasn't. I couldn't just yeah. be me doing my job. Um, it, was, it was really tough. No, it sounds it. I think, um, you know, I've had similar experiences in, in the early part of my career where, you know, how I looked was constantly commented on, but never necessarily to me. So I'd hear people have said this or, you know, people feel like you only got this job because you're pretty or um, or just inappropriate comments as well. Actually. And I actually um, kind of midway through my career so far, I was receiving some executive coaching through an organization that I was working with at the time. And my executive coach, who was this amazing, amazing guy, I told him that I was in awe of our HRD at the time. I was like, she really inspires me. Um, you know, I'd love to be kind of like her when I'm older and, and things like that. And like, you know, she's someone that I look up to. And he said, that's so funny that you say that because she's really intimidated by you. And I was like, pardon? 
why would she be intimidated by me? And he said, well, look at you, you know, you do, um, you know, you look a certain way. You're always like really powerfully dressed. But his recommendation was that I needed to be more approachable. I hear that a lot as well. And that in order to Mm. be more approachable, I should think about dressing down Mm. and, you know, not being as striking in the workplace. And then people wouldn't be intimidated. And I remember being like really hurt by that comment, you know, because I loved him so much. And I was like, you're so amazing. But then to hear something like that, where I did essentially gone through my entire career so far, not necessarily having the best relationship with women because they always misjudged me or whatever, uh, based on how I looked purely. So to hear that come from him as part of executive coaching made me really sad, like, How am I meant to bring my authentic self to work if I'm being told not to be that? It was just crazy. Um, But in, you know, the only reason I raise that is because we're talking in this podcast about how we've maybe perpetuated some of that prejudice and bias. And in that situation, I didn't challenge him. I just said, Mm -hmm. okay. And I wish I had challenged with love, obviously, but challenged it nevertheless. Yeah. So for our listeners, who are wondering what we mean by prejudice or bias, how would you define them, especially in the context of the workplace? Yeah, I mean, so in its kind of simplest form, when we think about um, having a bias, right? So it's simply like we have a preference or we favour one thing over another. Mm. And it's whether that's conscious, unconscious. There's a lot of chat about that, isn't there? But, you know, it's just about having a preference one way or another. Um, And when we think about prejudice, that's generally the negative connotation of, you know, we have a negative bias towards something, a negative preference for something. And one example that I tend to use um, that kind of helps people understand this a little bit is, I mean, I'm a a football fan, right? I mean, I'm an Aston Villa fan. So, you know, who knows (laughs) if that could be classed as good football. But when I talk to people, it's kind of like, you know, if I have conversations with people, and you know we're chatting and someone says oh you know you're a football fan and we have this kind of link don't we of oh we've got a thing and then we find out we're both Aston Villa fans awesome you know we've got this connection we may have just met one another we know nothing about one another but immediately that person is probably going to know like and trust me on the basis of one thing and yet we could meet someone who's a Birmingham City fan um, for anyone who's not geographically aware they're kind of local rival clubs and you know, immediately we are going to have all kinds of thoughts and feelings about this person based upon absolutely nothing but this one piece of information we've got. And so in the context, this is what we call affinity bias, like we have an affinity with or against something. And and this is where we kind of, you know, we start to think about these prejudices. How do they creep in? Because if I know nothing about anybody other than this one piece of information, but I'm already going to go, yeah, but they're a bit of a loser, right? You know, like it shapes everything that we do and everything we think about that person. And and, it, and it's just kind of it's so unnecessary and we and it, we can find it very difficult to challenge. And that's why we have to be really careful about recognizing when these biases come into play and how are we processing that information? And like when we think about well, where does where does this come from, this need to kind of want to be liked or want to fit in with people? And it's almost like that evolutionary um peace within us like our brain assesses threats right so we're always looking for information to say well is this person a threat is this person not a threat so in this particular example my brain's gonna go oh we've got this thing in common you're clearly not a threat Mm. um everything's good whereas this other piece of information says oh maybe you are a threat you know we, we like this different thing so i now need to be wary of you and it's such and again it's such nonsense but we have got hundreds of years worth of patriarchy capitalism colonialism giving us all this information that we use to then decide are you a threat or are you not a threat yeah and 
and and you know when talking about the examples that you were saying there around the the advice your executive coach gave you you know could you tone it down a little bit please could you just just be a bit less Mm. then you're going to fit in and then people are going to like you and it's like well okay but this is the year's worth of patriarchy that is kind of building up and telling us like oh well we expect women to act in this particular way and if they don't fulfill this vision that we believe is how women should be in the workplace well, you know, okay, maybe they're not very likable, maybe they're not very approachable. And actually, all you are is simply a confident person living, you know, in your own body. But that's not okay. <laughs> like that mm. that makes other people feel uncomfortable. And more importantly, other women feel uncomfortable because we are internalizing and we are perpetuating and upholding these um kind of values and beliefs that we don't even know where they came from Mm. but but we're leaning in anyway and it's all happening inside us and we don't know why exactly I think your definition of bias and prejudice is really important for anyone listening as well is you know essentially we all have biases and prejudice irrespective of where we're from you know how we experience individuals could then impact you know, if we further down the line meet someone that looks like that person or sounds like that person, then there's this immediate prejudice that, oh, no, you know, I can't trust that person because someone who who I met like that person in the past was a threat. Or I've heard that someone like that was a threat to somebody I know or or whatever. So I think being aware of them and challenging them, like you said, is so important for everyone. How would you say that some of the experiences that you've had of prejudice have affected you? Mm, Great question. I mean, so the the knock on effect of this is right. My confidence took a hit. You know, when you are, if I think about myself personally, so I was in my mid twenties, I'm stepping up into leadership positions. I'm thinking, yeah, this is where I want my career to go. I'm, you know, I'm focused. I'm trying to do well for myself. And all of the time I'm also saying, yeah, you can, you can like do well for yourself, but do it in this way. So be less you Mm. do it in the way that is acceptable. And it really does knock your confidence because you're trying to balance between, is this too much? Is this enough? You know, and, and you're getting feedback all the way to tell you, is that right? Is that wrong? And you are so consumed with trying to think about that and manage that that you're probably not putting all of your energy into the work that you're trying to deliver and the mm-hmm. results that you want to to bring because you're so focused on yourself which is which is just you know it's not okay it's it's, it's madness and and it took me a long time to reflect and to really think about this and think actually you know this this wasn't my fault i didn't create this scenario where i needed to behave in a certain way but i took all the signals that were coming at me and i decided like that was what I should do. So I didn't have an executive coach giving me any help. I was just kind of figuring it out for myself. And this was the information and I had no one to kind of run that by. And also I wasn't seeking anybody out because how how am I going to find someone to go to and go, I'm, you know, I think people are saying these things about me and I'm hearing people saying these things about me and actually people are calling me names to my face. Mm. Um, how do I deal with this? Because part of me is like, oh, I don't want to show that I can't handle it. Like that wouldn't be right because I'm supposed to be a professional. Just yeah. let it slide. And I, you know, on reflection, I now realise, oh, that was that was terrible decision making. Mm. I absolutely should have raised it. I absolutely should have gone to someone and said, right, these things are happening. You know, it's not okay. We need to talk about the way we treat women in this workplace. But I didn't have to reflect and say, well, I was a young manager. I was a young leader, and I didn't have the psychological safety in place to step up and to make those statements and to say actually we could be achieving a whole lot more if we just stopped doing this Mm. um 
so I feel like as well the the impact that had on me was it stifled my own ability to be a good leader because I didn't have the role models around to kind of say this is this is how you can step up this is how you can challenge so I kind of retreated into myself as if like just you know just just keep going just keep pushing it's all going to be okay in the end we'll we'll get there wherever there is um, and it'll all be fine and and then never came did it obviously it's just constantly tiring because you're just you know going up a hill through treacle yeah and, and I and I kind of think yeah it, it it took away my room to grow and my room to really become the type of leader I could have been um for the people in that business so it didn't just have an impact on me but it had an impact on it's certainly on the people reporting into me but also more indirectly to the example that I was being to others Mm, wow we discussed a few weeks ago how difficult it was back in the day to challenge some of the situations we found ourselves in how did you personally address or respond to the prejudice or bias you experienced in the workplace and are there any strategies that you'd recommend to others facing similar situations yeah so so for me a huge turning point in my experiences um was when a another woman um joined this team and she certainly was the kind of person that had the strength to stand up and challenge these things. And watching her also experience similar treatment and watching her not stand for it was a real moment for me of thinking, oh, like I didn't have I didn't have to go about it in the way that I did. And then having someone to kind of approach and say, OK, I've noticed these things happening and these are my experiences as well. Like, can we talk about this? And she was a huge help for me even if it was just having someone to go to and go, oh, mate, this is this is a nightmare. Mm. It was just nice to have someone to be able to be that frank with, but also taking her lead and thinking, oh yeah, like I can I can stand up and I can do this. So it was interesting in watching it happen to someone else, I was able to not normalize the harm that was being caused. I was like, oh, that's unacceptable. Now I see that that treatment of others. So in terms of what would I say to other people, I would absolutely say, think about and seek out those trusted colleagues and, uh, you know, advisors or mentors or, or people that you can go to where you can have those open and frank conversations. Like who can you trust to be very vulnerable with and say, okay, this is this is what's happening to me or for me, around me, and share that and get get some perspective because it might not be safe to speak up publicly, but it hopefully there will be someone that you can speak up to who can help you, you know, get in touch with the right person. You know, if you have got an HR department who are kind of open and willing to have these conversations, then absolutely go and speak to them. You know, that's their role. Address these issues, have a conversation. Yeah. And, and kind of don't shoulder that burden all for yourself because it, it's it's not on you. It's not on you at all. And additionally, I'd also say, like, have a think about what policies are in place, the more structured approach, aside from just speaking to people. If I think about my experiences, it was absolutely workplace bullying. It was absolutely harassment. And there were policies in place that could have supported me with that. So even if I felt raising it within the team was maybe going to get me laughed at, there was still a policy I could point out and say, mm, okay, you're laughing, but yeah. right here, what you're doing, this is bullying. And it mm. says so right here. So, you know, you're going to change this. <laughs> Would I have been that bold about it? I don't know. <laughs> but, um, you know, there, there, was, there was a framework in place for me to, to, to take up and I didn't utilise that. Again, how it would have been received, I don't know. But I would definitely say in most organisations, it's there and it's there for a good reason. So definitely kind of find out for your own benefit like where do you stand um and then have that conversation 
Brilliant. I'd agree. Thank you, Katie. How important is it for individuals to seek support from colleagues, supervisors or HR when dealing with prejudice or bias? So you talked about people seeking out help and getting that knowledge. But why is it so important to do that? Yeah, because going through this alone, like, is is horrible let's face mm. it isn't it so and and you and you don't have to go through it yourself and one thing I now say to myself is like hope is not a strategy so just like I did just try and tough it out I'm going to get there you know this imaginary place of where none of these things will will happen to me anymore it's like it was in the culture of the organization it was always going to happen so it needed challenging mm. um and you don't have to be alone when you do that you know, it, it speak to line managers, speak to HR, speak to advisors, speak to people outside of the business just to get perspective if you're not quite sure. Because, you know, having these conversations relies heavily, like we said, on psychological safety and trust. And there will be places that you can find even just a small pocket. You can find that so that you can at least know that you aren't alone in it. And it's it's not in your head. It's not made up because it, it isn't, even though some places would like us to feel that way um, because gaslighting is of course real and for and you can also seek out allies as well when you know it's not just about people who have got formal organizational responsibility for these things as such as managers and hr like, talk talk to colleagues who maybe witness what you're going through reach out to them as allies to say like you know i feel like this is what i'm experiencing could you just pay attention in the next meeting like just let me know how you feel about it and kind of you know send some signals up to see if people can can be your eyes and ears as well just to go oh yeah like that isn't okay um I'm going to document that for you I'm I'm happy to speak up with you I'm happy to be your witness and and just bring people in because it's not it's not yours to shoulder um, to shoulder that burden alone for sure no absolutely not I think there's also the element of speaking up and and being the one to to raise the issue to almost protect those that come after you because like you said you know you were pretty much by yourself for a while until you know an ally joined the business that you were able to then witness kind of standing up to it and I'm sure that between the two of you any female then joining that business had a completely different experience maybe not completely different but better in some way as a result of the challenge that you did so I think that would be my my kind of biggest addition to that is if you don't feel like it's enough to say something for yourself then think about the people that are going to come after you and how will the work that you do in this moment and in this time make things better for them. What would you say to leaders that want to create a safe space for employees to report and address instances of prejudice and bias? Yeah, and I always find this a really interesting thought process, right? Because we hear so often, don't we? We want to create an organisation where people can be their authentic selves. Mm -hmm. Okay, awesome. What does that mean for you? And so my advice to leaders is walk that talk. You're saying that you want to create these environments. So create them, like actually put the effort in to create them and say it more than once, because I often we've told we've told people our door is open. So nobody's using it. Yeah, sure. Because, you know, if I think again about my own experience for so long, the door would have been open. I wasn't going in there to say anything. So I needed to hear more than once if you come in and talk to us about this, we're going to listen for it to feel safe for me to then maybe start having those conversations. And had I have witnessed leadership behaviour of other people stepping up and saying, can we stop calling Katie Blondie? Because Mm -hmm. maybe that's a bit insulting, you know, or have we actually thought about the fact that we stand around talking about 
you know how you know how she's behaving or how she's looking or you know have we ever thought that maybe this is sexually objectifying her and maybe this isn't okay and if I had witnessed that then that is more likely to make me want to go oh, okay now I can share yeah actually that does feel like you're objectifying me and I really would appreciate it if we could all just stop that now so yeah it, it really is walk that talk if you want to create the safe space, take action, create that safe space, continually reaffirm that message and also do your internal work as well. Don't don't create the illusion, you know, of, of saying the words, understand why it's important inside as well. Really think about or how how is it to be someone who is not me, who has a different lived experience than me, who has has different opportunities than I did or, or lack thereof? What might they feel like? And, and kind of explore that and sit with it and then start thinking about and how can we listen to them in terms of the actions we want to see within our workplace? Because sometimes we can as leaders skip steps and yeah. start thinking, oh, DEI, this is the thing we're doing now. Where's the checklist? Let's do the things. And it's yeah. it's just not about that, is it? It's about what are you doing from your internal perspective in inside yourself how are you learning and how are you bringing that learning to what you're doing in your workplace because that will make all of your conversations easier that will make showing up as you know a strong confident leader when it comes to the topic of, of inclusion easy because you are getting it you'll be able to say oh, I don't know I don't have an answer for that but let's find out together it, it'll all become so much easier very much easier walk the walk rather than talking the talk essentially how do you think organizations can improve awareness and educate employees about the impact of prejudice and bias yeah excellent question so I think the first thought for a lot of people is oh okay bias we've all heard of unconscious bias let's do some unconscious bias training and I'm not knocking it because it has absolutely got its place but I think we have to be really clear here that there is you know we've, we've heard this before there is no one size fits all so really it's about what what is the context of your organization when it comes to the ways in which people might be experiencing prejudice and bias and how can you address that for example unconscious bias training might be a solution if you're thinking hmm, we see in our data that we're collecting about our recruitment processes that once we get to second stage interview the number of candidates from a certain marginalized group really drops off so oh, okay there's data telling us we might have a problem so we are going to do something specific which could be unconscious bias training for recruitment processes to help address that to see does that change what we're doing so it could well you know be so something like a targeted approach like that but it can it can also be around you know again engaging in conversations doing that personal learning to think about okay me as a leader or me as a colleague what are my biases like have I stopped to think about this who who is it that I have in my my direct sphere of influence you know that is different to me and have I thought about their perspectives have I thought about how my experiences of this workplace might be different to somebody else and if you know if I haven't start thinking about that and start thinking about well, where do I make assumptions just because it's it is my experience and and one of the things I say so frequently to people is the only thing you can ever know with 100% certainty is what it's like to be you and everything else you've got to learn so learn you know pay attention think about oh you know 
if I if I had um, a vision impairment, like how would I navigate my day? What would my day look like? Mm. Would it would it how would it feel? How might I come up against barriers? And then start thinking about that as the default, you know, sort of building that in. Challenge just challenge your own thoughts and assumptions. Thank you, Katie. What policies or interventions should organisations have in place to mitigate prejudice and bias? So you talked about uh, unconscious bias training having its place, but are there any other policies or interventions you'd recommend? Yeah, policies. So I guess this is a tricky one, isn't it? Because how do you how do you policy against bias? Like mm. you can't we we can't write a policy to say well from now on no bias in the workplace because it it's kind of an un unrealistic idealistic dream isn't it Mm. um because we are humans so i would say the best thing we can do is to again to educate ourselves challenge this internal notion we have about good versus bad people because it is always like oh i'm a good person so therefore i'm not going to do all of i'm not going to have any biases because that would make me a bad person and it's like actually none of us are all good or all bad we're just people so depending on yeah depending on the context of the situation we're in like we will have biases we will be doing things that perhaps we could be doing better so i would say when from a policy perspective i would reconsider the policies you have in place certainly you know the, the kind of grievance bullying harassment policies and make sure that they are robust and you have got not just a written policy, but a process in place that will support people who want to engage with that policy. Um, and also ensure that your other policies and processes really reflect active listening, learning, expressing vulnerability and, and making sure that there are safe spaces for those conversations to happen and that they reflect human people as the intersectional beings that we are. You know, don't kind of go at it through one lens. Think about, you know, how are we how are we putting these policies together thinking about the whole aspect of of what does it mean to be a human person working in this organisation. What would you say around, because I feel like, you know, there are organisations doing some amazing work in this area, but we just don't hear enough about it. So what what are your thoughts on how organisations can more effectively share the work that they do in this area with their teams and with, you know, just colleagues to show that actually we are a listening organisation and we are active in this area? Yeah, so as you asked that question, it made me think of a conversation I had just this morning, actually, with with an organisation. And they were kind of thinking, like, how do how do we start this DEI work? Where do we begin? And and it was and it was interesting because the person I was speaking to was from an HR team. Mm. And we've been having a lot of conversations this year around like, what does what does it mean to be on this journey of work? And I asked her, like, have you shared your own personal journey of the of the work that you've been doing and the, your thoughts that you have encountered along the way? And she's like, that's a good idea, because rather than stepping into it from a we're the business and we have to tell people what we're doing in our business. She was like, oh, yeah, because if I said, oh, I started off thinking I was going to be creating an action plan and doing these things. Now I'm thinking I need to be inviting people to have conversation and really challenging what we do and and involving more people in the process. She's like, yeah, I should probably share that, shouldn't I? Because that's going to help people feel confident to engage in the process and offer their opinion. So I I genuinely think that organisations, the more we talk about the way, the different ways in which we're engaging with inclusion in our businesses, the easier it's going to be for more organisations to start talking about it and say, ah, I see that you've done that. That's not going to work in our business. But actually, this small part of it has really made me think I could do something you know I could do something else but I, I'm, I'm more informed with that 
and being okay about being the first people to say like oh we didn't do it that way we did it another way yeah and here are the results that we've seen and not being afraid to go well we're bucking the trend here um Mm -hmm. like yeah buck the trend do something because it's your business it's got to work in the context of your business you know your people you know your people should be telling you what they need and if they're not telling you what you need, then maybe you need to think about that psychological safety piece again. Because if nobody is speaking up and challenging, maybe that is information in and of itself. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so really just to share more examples without the fear of that right or wrong, good or bad. Just just share what you're doing so that we can all grow and learn together. Because I think we need, you know, there, there is no solution. There is no checklist. It is all about listening and understanding and engaging in the best ways that we can with the information that we've got. I think there's also that element of, you know, thinking about the impact of sharing within organisations. It's that you said we did piece is that actually in Mm. speaking up, we are doing something with that and we're doing something about that. So please continue to do that. So really encouraging people that actually your time is being well spent in this area. And we mean it when we say that we have an open door policy, like you said, and we will make things better for everyone. So important. absolutely. So well, I would just build on that as well, because the, the reverse of that is true in that when you do ask people for their thoughts and their perspectives. I mean, we've all probably over the last few years been surveyed to death, haven't we? When you ask people for information and then you do nothing with it. Yeah. And then you wonder why nobody responds the next time you ask for their opinion. So, you know, if you're going to start asking people to engage, you absolutely have to do the, you know, you said we did, because if it's just you said all the time, yeah, people stop it. Exactly. Excellent. So we've seen a lot of EDI initiatives and training created over the years. But in your opinion, what steps can organisations take to create lasting change in addressing prejudice and bias? For me, I think a lot of this is that getting into that conversation about what is it that we're afraid to talk about um what are the topics that we're a little bit anxious about getting into conversation about because actually acknowledging that biases and prejudices exist within us as people and within our workplaces tends to require a change in culture and it it requires kind of removing those barriers of I can't talk openly about the judgment I feel because that makes me a bad person. My colleagues are going to cancel me because, you know, this is what we do nowadays. Mm. And and actually, we need to remove that. We need to create space where people can can explore that and be honest about, oh, I hadn't I hadn't realized. I mean, one of, one of my examples is so I'm a white woman. And I truly hadn't understood the the concept of whiteness until I was 36. Like and and I find that hilarious because like I've, I've always known like what color my skin is because it's it's been on my body up yeah. to that point for thirty six years that wasn't a secret um but it was what that meant and how I experienced life as a result of that and I find it interesting like, that it, it dawned on me in in that moment and I was like huh now I see the world in a different way and I can't mm. unsee it but the amount of people I speak to and I share that and I say like you know is this going to sound nuts but you know I didn't realize the concept of whiteness until I was 36 and other people look at me like what what's that then and then we have a conversation and they're like cool well I was 54 when I realized the concept of whiteness and and it's it's (laughs) exactly right I was today years old and and it's and it is that being having a space where you can have that conversation where no one's going to turn around and be like well, you didn't know that. Well, now, you know, you're clearly racist and here's your label and off you go. And, and you know, being able to step into the conversation rather than being afraid to kind of say, and, and just owning, owning the, 
the flaws and the thoughts and the things that have gone before so that we can say, oh, yeah, crikey, now I see that differently. I shall do things differently. And and, and similarly, with my even with my own identity, I didn't realise I was asexual until I was 40 because no one was talking about it. Mm. It wasn't a thing that I knew existed. I was doing this work and all of a sudden I started reading about asexuality and I was like, oh, wow, that's me. <laughs> like I fell headfirst into it. Yeah. And we because we don't know what we don't know until we start talking about it. So Absolutely. from my perspective, yeah, for organisations to create that lasting change in addressing prejudices and biases, we just have to be open and honest about what we know, what we don't know, um, where our blind spots are and allow space for people to see them um, without fear of repercussion. And again, it comes back to psychological safety. Mm, I think that's the power of conversation as well, because it's interesting when you said um, you didn't realise your whiteness until you were 36. It brought me back to when I realised my blackness. And because I, I growing up, I went to primary school, my primary school was in Clapham. It was predominantly black. So everyone looked like me. You know, my race wasn't an issue. Secondary school, interestingly, was the complete opposite. But it was amazing. Like I never being black was never raced. It was never a point. Um, and it's not that I didn't know I was black. I definitely knew I was black because I was born in Nigeria. All my family, you know, that I had were black at the time. So I knew I was black, but it was never an issue. And even in secondary school, I never felt like it was an issue. My teachers went above and beyond to support me and to tell me how powerful and how successful I could be, etc. I didn't realize my blackness until I was 18. And that was such a powerful experience. But the only reason I bring that up is because you met, you said after your experience, you couldn't unsee it. And it was exactly the same for me at 18. So my experience was a negative experience, but I couldn't unsee that experience. And I couldn't unsee how blackness was viewed by some. And obviously so much has happened since then in terms of, you know, our awareness of that and awareness of people's experiences. But that realisation really changes us. It really changes us, irrespective of of our creed or colour. Once you realise your blackness or your whiteness, there is a change that happens. And hopefully in the main, that change is good. But it's such a powerful one. And I think even sharing those experiences is really powerful in understanding, actually, when did you realise this? What was the, what were the circumstances and how has that impacted you? Um, because I just think, you know, like for me, that was a light bulb moment hearing your experience and, and just making me think about mine as well. So thank you for sharing that, Katie. What would be your call to action for our listeners regarding addressing and challenging prejudice and bias in the workplace? Like you've shared some really powerful points. I think in particular, the fact that we all have biases and prejudice and we need to stop seeing them, you know, seeing, accepting that as a negative, that that means you're a bad person. It doesn't. But what would your call to action be around how our listeners address and challenge prejudice and bias in the workplace? I mean, I hate to harp on about it, but I'm going to. I think our my, my my very first point is going to be around like personal radical responsibility. It is nobody else's responsibility to kind of help you take a look at you other than you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, take responsibility for yourself, you know, engage in adult to adult conversations and, and take a a long hard look at yourself your beliefs examine where your beliefs have come from what assumptions and experiences have have taken place in your life that have led you to where you are and and kind of just really challenge yourself a little bit in in the situations you come up against 
you know and especially in the workplace like oh you know I'm making this hiring decision why is it that I'm feeling that way you know oh uh, we're having this conversation why is it that I'm on this side of an argument as opposed to the other like and really just ask you know pause and ask yourself that question and be accountable for the answer that comes up for you because we can want to sanitize you know these answers for other people sure that's fine but at least be honest with yourself (laughs) be honest with yourself about where it's coming from because if we can't be honest with ourselves how on earth are we ever going to get past it you know nothing is so bad that we can't be truth truthful to ourselves yeah so I, i would i would ask yourself like how how diverse is your world and who are the people that you are surrounding yourself with you know whose opinions and and are you listening to when it comes to the news that you consume or your social media like how are you feeding your own echo chamber and what steps are you taking to bring different perspectives into that, to challenge those biases that we all carry with us and and kind of disrupt that cycle of thinking. Brilliant. Katie, thank you so much for today. I think it's always difficult being on a podcast and sharing your experiences, but I really appreciate just your honesty, transparency and vulnerability in sharing your story um, and just your advice and hopefully supporting individuals and organisations to uh, address prejudice and bias in the workplace it's been such a pleasure having you um I'd love to get you back on again we've got so much to talk about it's been my absolute pleasure to be here speaking to you Grace I I absolutely I mean I love your podcast and it's been my my pleasure to be here yeah wonderful to have conversations with you too this podcast is brought to you by Acquaintance Consulting we'd love it if you could take a minute at the end of this podcast to follow subscribe whichever is easier or available for you on the platform that you're listening to us on we're really keen to grow this channel and really impact equality diversity and inclusion across the world and with your support we can do just that